The Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew, chapter 3, beginning at the 13th verse. Glory to you, Jesus Christ. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for it is proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus had been baptized, just as he came up from the water, suddenly the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Loving God, may the words that come from my mouth be inspired by your Holy Spirit. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please be seated? I'm going to start um, my sermon today with a confession. I am not a big fan of this book which is called a lectionary, which has all the Bible readings that we're supposed to preach on every Sunday. I'm not a big fan of this book at this time of year. And I'm a little bit cranky with myself. The issue I have with this book is that last Sunday, Jesus was a baby and being visited by wise men And this week, he's a fully grown 30-year-old man being dunked in the river by his cousin. What about the 30 years in between? Why do we gloss over it? And why do we rush so quickly away from Christmas? And I'm cranky with myself for leaving it too late. I did switch off a little bit in between Christmas and New Year, and I I got uh, too close to this Sunday before I realised I should have picked a different Bible reading or maybe started a different series so I could avoid preaching about this particular Bible reading. And it's not because I don't love the story about Jesus getting baptised, it's just that it doesn't seem to fit at this time of year. At least that was what I was thinking about it. This year we're going to focus our teaching and preaching around a heightened sense of awareness, a desire to seek a fresh perspective and a commitment to pay a little bit more attention. I strongly believe that for God to move us from where we are now as a church to where God's calling us to be, we have to have that approach, attitude and culture of a heightened sense of awareness a fresh perspective, and paying a little extra more attention. So I decided to pay a little bit more attention to this Bible passage today and stop blaming the lectionary. In the process of paying attention, I learned a lot about the subtle art of paying attention. 
as much as I want to hold on to the Christmas Jesus just a little bit longer, to explore his childhood and those in-between years, there really isn't a lot in Scripture before Jesus is baptised, including the Christmas stories. Of the 89 chapters there are in the four Gospels, only four of them are devoted to Jesus' origin story prior to the beginning of his ministry. And of those four chapters, there's only a measly 12 verses about one incident as a 12-year-old where Jesus is lost by his parents and found in his father's house at the temple. As much as I would like to have answers to questions, like, did Jesus always know that he was the Messiah, or did he find out at some point in his life? If so, where and when? What was he like as a child? And what were Mary and Joseph's parenting style like? Did Jesus perform other miracles before the wedding of Cana? And was he popular with his peers? As burning as those questions might be in my mind, I don't get any of those answers from Scripture. Some of you might be aware of a comedy current affairs game show called Have You Been Paying Attention? When a comedian doesn't know the answer, they'll often make something up with the express intention of getting a laugh. Now, there are ancient writings that do have details of Jesus' life pre the age of 30, but they are not considered Gospels. And they are widely considered by biblical scholars to be made up. Not for comedic purposes, but more in the Jewish Midrashic tradition that fills in the gaps in between Scripture. I like to consider it a little bit like modern-day fan fiction. While the very best that we can do is speculate about Jesus' years between zero and 30, we can learn something about paying attention from today's passage, both to ourselves and to others. We get a very small glimpse of the relational connection between Jesus and his cousin John the Baptist. It's not a lot, but there's enough there to pay attention to. The verses before the passage that Bruno read for us, Matthew 3, verses 1 to 12, 12, set up John's baptismal ministry. John was a big deal. People came from Jerusalem and all of Judea to come and be baptised by him in the Jordan. Yet as Jesus approaches, we don't get a sense at all that John is acting like he's a big deal, particularly in front of Jesus. John actually says to Jesus, I need to be baptised by you. And you come to me and you want me to baptise you? We might not know what Jesus was like between the ages of zero to 30, but John did have some idea. 
I've got no doubt he knew who, who he was referring to in the earlier verses when he said, but one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I'm not worthy to carry his sandals. Who we are in relationship with Jesus is something we can and should pay attention to. It is the thing that should matter most. But the reality is it's often easier to pay attention to others or just the superficial things about ourselves. What shoes are we wearing? What are we wearing? Do we look good? What's going on in our superficial lives that others notice? Rather than doing the hard work of paying attention to what is deep within us. It's not bad to pay attention not to pay attention to other people. It's not bad to pay attention to the superficial things about ourselves either. But there are unhelpful and unhealthy ways of paying attention to other people. And unhealthy and unhelpful ways are often driven by two big emotions. Guilt and assumptions or judgments. Most of my school friends have been blessed to have long and healthy marriages. One of uh, my school friends actually became a grandfather last week, which I have to say I find incredibly scary. But I remember years and years ago a really strong feeling of guilt wash over me when I found out that one of my friends, one who I actually had spent a year living with, sharing a house while we were at university, found out that he'd gotten divorced only a couple of years after he was married. But what was worse was I found out almost a year after it happened I had this amazing sense of guilt. Well, why didn't I know? I could have been there. I could have supported him. The truth was that none of my friends knew. He didn't share that with us. And my sense of guilt wasn't actually about how he was feeling in that moment and that experience. It was because we were feeling helpless and a little bit hurt that he hadn't trusted us to be there for him. And those feelings of guilt were unhealthy and unhelpful because they had nothing to do with his traumatic experience of going through a marriage separation. And it actually prevented us, or me particularly, from being as attentive as I, I probably should have been in that moment when I did find out Because to be honest, I was more focused on how it felt not knowing what was going on in his life. Assigning guilt to ourselves because someone else has chosen to do something or because someone has behaved in a particular way actually inhibits our ability to pay attention to them because we're actually paying attention to ourselves. The other unhealthy and unhelpful thing that we 
often do, I know I often do it, I won't speak for you, is to assume too much. Leanne and I will go to a nine o'clock gym class as many Saturday mornings as we possibly can. And yesterday's class was absolutely packed. There were more people in that class than I had ever seen before. And I joked to one of the regulars um, as we were doing wall sits on the wall that there must have been a few New Year's resolutions uh, to get fit because there were so many people. And he knows what I do for a living and he suggested that maybe people were doing penance for overindulging over the Christmas break. The truth is that there could have been a myriad of reasons why there were so many people at that gym class yesterday. And we both assumed too much. Quite possibly some had made New Year's resolutions. Quite possibly some had overindulged. But there would have been no way that either of us would have known who was who. And it didn't really matter either. What we should have been doing is paying attention to our instructor about what we were supposed to be doing at that moment and what was coming up next. There will be a range of reasons why people are at church this morning. A range of reasons why they've come physically in person to this building. Why some are joining us online right now or might be joining us later in the day or later in the week even. It's unhealthy and unhelpful to assume we know or understand why others are here. There'll be others here this, that aren't here this morning for at least as many reasons, maybe more. It's also unhelpful and unhealthy to assign guilt to ourselves because we don't know why they're not here. They might be in hospital, but they might, not have, they might have chosen not to tell us for a reason. They might be visiting family in another state. They might have heard that I was preaching this morning. They might not have felt like getting out of bed this morning. Removing the unhealthy and unhelpful things we pay attention to actually gives us space to heighten our awareness. It gives us a desire to seek a fresh perspective and a commitment to pay a little bit more attention to what God is actually doing through the work of the Holy Spirit. One of the things that I've found that the Holy Spirit will sometimes do is actually prompt me with a name of a person that I might not have otherwise thought of, whether they're in the building or not. But the Holy Spirit will move in lots of different ways if we give the Holy Spirit space instead of crowding it out with our guilt and assumptions. We don't see John the Baptist assuming anything when he sees Jesus. He could have easily have assumed that this guy that he's known for 30 years has finally done something wrong and he needs to come and be baptised. But he doesn't assume that at all. 
It's not guilt that I am feeling and reading and, and seeing in this interaction that gives God, John pause to wonder whether he should be baptizing Jesus. It's more humility and an awareness if he actually knows who Jesus is. And in that humility and awareness, he remains open to Jesus leading him in a direction that he'd never expected that he might go. That he actually gets an opportunity to minister to Jesus and be a part of revealing Jesus to a wider audience, something that only maybe he and the closest family members might have known up until that point. Humility and a relationship with Jesus overcomes guilt and assumption any day of the week. But more importantly, I think humility and relationship with Jesus lay a foundation for our ministry to begin. Baptism in traditional churches like ours is often seen as your ticket or your foundation to ministry. When you're baptised, then you're able to take your life in the wider church and be involved in the ministry of the church. But the mechanics of baptism, the pouring the water on to getting anointed by oil and to light a candle, those mechanics, they've got nothing to do with the foundational elements of ministry. They're symbolic. They remind us about things. But they're not foundations. Foundation of our ministry is always paying attention to what has got us to where we are. The good bits, but especially the bad bits as well. And paying attention to who we are in Jesus. This is the subtle art of paying attention to what is deep within us. The impact of our ministry, the uniqueness of our testimonies, the effectiveness of our giftedness is all linked to where we've been, what we've done, how we've been formed, and who we've become, and how Jesus has met us and is transforming us. Yeah, it's easy to feel guilty that we're not doing enough. Or we can assume that what we do isn't important in the grand scheme of things. But as we pay attention to what is deep within us, we become aware of the Holy Spirit working in and through us and the power and the impact that that relationship with Jesus has, not just on us, but on our world around us. We have the ability, as we pay attention, to repent and be released from those moments of guilt and those wrong assumptions. And we humbly realise that we are enough for Jesus. We might never think we're enough for the world in which we live in, but we're always going to be enough for Jesus. And as we dig into what is deep within us, we realise that we are important in the grand scheme of the kingdom of God. What might seem insignificant in the moment has ripple effects because 
our small thing is connected to another's small thing. It's connected to another small thing and it makes a big thing. It's not that we're the big deal. John the Baptist didn't go around saying, hey, look at me, I'm the big deal. He just was humble and faithful and God worked through him. What we've done, where we've been, the good bits, the bad bits, how Jesus had met us and the moments that we've encountered on the mountaintops and in the dark places, they all form the foundations of our ministry. The Holy Spirit is at work in us, calling us to pay attention to the deep things about ourselves, assuring us that like Jesus, we too are beloved children of God. But the Holy Spirit just doesn't stop there. The things that we pay attention to, we are most likely to share. But this is better than sharing a Netflix series that you've just enjoyed or something interesting that you've just heard about in the news. The church is a collection, a community of the beloved of God. And as we together pay attention to what is deep within each of us and deep within our church community, you know what? It's actually going to draw attention to us as a community, as Christians, as followers of Jesus. In ways that allow us to show who God really is, not just who people have believed God based on what we've done in terms of our mistakes and faults and failings over the years. See, the sharing of the good news of Jesus Christ is really just the subtle art of paying attention and through the power of the Holy Spirit becoming involved in what God is already doing. So let us pray. Loving God, help us to be aware of what is deep within us, those seeds that you have planted within us, those moments of pain and tragedy and trial, the joys and the triumphs. Help us to be aware that our experiences, when offered to you, when met by the Holy Spirit, not only transformative in our own lives, but they're the building blocks of what you will use in our ministry for you. Help us to be aware of the deep things about ourselves. Help us to let go of the guilt and the assumptions that place barriers around ourselves and barriers from stopping us to be getting closer to others and especially to you. Help us to be released to see clearly you at work in the world. And as we do, help us not to be ashamed that people will notice us and the differences that we might exhibit. Help us not to be ashamed of the gospel that you are actively at work in our lives.
Help us to learn the subtle art of paying attention. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Rejoin me as we stand with our worship team and continue to sing.